0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Lot was rescued from the five kings by Abraham and the symbolism of salvation and symbolism of Satan surrounding him being saved. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes, you can download it for free. Now, we're coming to the close of the year-end for the Friendship with God radio program. We'd like to encourage you to make a contribution to keep this radio program going on this station in your city. Now, 100% of your contribution goes towards keeping this Bible teaching program on the air in your city right here on this station. Now, we also have a matching donation of 100% that goes towards Israel Restoration Ministries when you send in a donation. So 100% of it's tax deductible, 100% goes towards keeping this teaching program on the air, and 100% of it goes towards Jewish evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries with a matching donation, but 0% goes towards administration costs. So this is an incredible offer. One dollar gets matched by another dollar, 100% of it tax deductible, all of it going towards reaching lost Jewish souls with the gospel. God has given us a commandment to go to the Jew first with the gospel, as well as to the Gentiles. And this radio ministry and evangelism ministry does both. And you can fulfill that commandment by every dollar that you donate to keep this radio program on the air, but you'll also help to fulfill the Great Commission. So if you'd like to support the Friendship with God radio program with the matching donation to Israel Restoration Ministries, contact us right now at 1-800-247-3051. So you can contact us right now or call us after the show, one 247 Thirty fifty one one eight hundred two four seven thirty fifty one 800 247 3051 Or go to friendshipwithgod.org, now or after the program, friendshipwithgod.org, to donate online. And now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis how Abraham rescued Lot from the five kings and the symbolism of salvation and symbolism of Satan surrounding Lot being saved through Abraham.
1: Yeah, if you'd like to open in your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 14 and uh, get ready to start here this morning. Let's first of all pray. Father, here we are. We're ready now before you, Lord, and we ask you to open our heart that we might love you, Lord. Open our eyes that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures, and open our ears that we might hear the message you have for each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, here we are, and uh, please follow along here and Genesis fourteen thirteen Thanks, Irene. All right. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Anar. And these were confederate with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained men and born in his own house 318 and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Horba, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. Now, Kizodek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him, said, Blessed be Abram, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, who to deliver thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. King of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods of thyself. Abram said to the King of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to the shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldst stay. I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me and Mamre, memory. Let them take their portion. All right, now, from our last studies as we've been here, we just can't get over this picture that we've got here of Abraham in this chapter in verse 14. This is so remarkable. When Abraham says he heard his brother was taken captive, and he springs into action, he arms his trained men, the, and so forth. That's the Abraham that we're proud of, in a good sense of being proud. We are very, very happy to see that's our man. That's Abraham. That's our man. That's the one who we're following. The decisive Abraham, the fearless Abraham, the brave Abraham, the courageous Abraham. And in this verse, we see an Abraham do exactly what Job talked about in Job twenty-nine seventeen when Job said, and I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the prey out of his teeth. There was the wicked and Job saw the wicked with the spoil in his teeth, still alive and walking off so proud with his gain. In fact, Job wants us to get right next to that panting lion and feel the heat of the lion and the breath of the lion. And so Job brings us right down next to this lion where we can see his teeth, talks about his teeth. And the one thing that a lion likes to do is to show off his teeth. We've all seen those videos you know, on the television of the lion quietly stalking its prey and how it'll curl back its teeth to expose its teeth. It's like encouraging himself with this weapon of his teeth connected to those massive jaws and those muscles and the bone-crushing strength and all that. And we've seen the videos of how the lion behaves after he's got it, after he's captured the prey, after he's got it in his teeth and how he proudly, he marches off in this bold prance as he continues to curl back his teeth and show off this incredible weapon that he has. It's very scary. Let me tell you from the experience. We've been at, when we were on a safari one time in Serengeti, and it was early in the morning. And we just happened to drive right up as the sun was breaking. And there within six feet of us with this whole pride of lions and there's a big the male lion and he just is there for show because the women lion do all the work as is true most places. But anyway, he's there. And she gets up and just massive muscles and we were so close. And our guide Bashiri, I knew we, we were close when our guide Bashiri just slowly reached over and rolled up the window. <laughs> <laughs> but they're waking up in the morning and, and the women lionesses should call them wildly anyway they curl back their teeth and we've seen we've seen those videos when the lions catch their prey how they'll keep it alive they like to do that cats like to do that they like to keep it alive so they can continue to get the thrill and the rush of the attack as they continue to pounce until finally the little thing dies. But before he kills the prey, the lion is walking off to his place to enjoy his kill and enjoy the process. And at that time when the prey is still alive, he's hopeless, he's helpless, and he's held by the teeth of those powerful jaws. That's what Job's talking about here. And he's focusing on this prey, and he wants us to see the prey, this prey that's still alive in the teeth of the lion. The prey that's being displayed by the lion as he proudly walks off holding his head up in this prance of pride and power. And so we're brought to see not only the lion in all of his pride and power here, but to see the prey. And the prey that has no hope. The prey that knows that it's only a matter of time until he feels that final, last bone-crushing teeth on him, and he'll die. And he can do nothing. The prey is going to help us. He can do nothing to save himself. And as we zoom in on that picture of the prey and freeze that picture right there, that's the picture that we see of Lot being carried off by Loemer. Lot is the prey. He's being held in the teeth of those powerful jaws of and we think about how Lot's feeling. And he's been feeling this way for some time. He's been about maybe as much as two weeks. He's been captive. And he's been a part of Cedr prance of pride and power. And it's been two long weeks for Lot. And during those times, in verse 15, we find the group has now entered back home into Syria. where They're on the left hand of Damascus. And we think a Lot, and we think that as he sees that they're entering Syria, and he knows soon it's going to be, it's all over. He has no power, Lot has no power to deliver himself. And the two questions in Lot's mind is, who would deliver me, and who could deliver me? And so that's a picture that we have here in chapter 14. That's the picture of Lot, is the picture of us. It's not just Lot. It's a picture of us. And like Lot, we were the prey. That was us. We were the prey in the teeth of Satan, the lion, and the description of how we were when we were outside the Lord Jesus Christ, when we were not saved. That's presented to us as a point that we should not forget. like Lot. Why should we not forget that? Because that's how we're going to be compassionate on the lost that we're going to seek to save. Turn to 2 Timothy 2.24. 2 Timothy 2.24. Here we have this picture of the lost and we have the commandments to us as little evangelists that's what we are we are little evangelists and so it says in 2 Timothy second 2 Timothy 2:24 2, through 26 it says the servant of the lord must not the imperative of it all must not strive But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So we are the little evangelists that are being addressed in this part here, and it says to us as little evangelists, you must not strive with the lost. You must not. Well, why must we not be striving with the lost? Why shouldn't we be out there demanding our First Amendment rights to be heard? No. Why must we be as little evangelists when we feel that we have to set the record straight? He can't get away with saying that. We must be gentle. Why do we have to be gentle? We must be gentle. Gentleness is for sissies. (laughs) I'm a man. Why do we have to be gentle? Why do we have to assume the role of a ready teacher, apt to teach, who patiently, the teacher, the picture of the teacher, who's patient and meek, and he continues to instruct an unruly class, like I was part of, where the students are shooting spitballs at the teacher. Why can't we be the sergeant of arms? Why can't we be the powerful principal? That's not the picture. Why do we have to be the teacher, that in meekness and patience it just takes all the brunt of these abusive students. Why? It's because we see the picture of Lot in Genesis 14 in verse 15. Of there it says that picture is just embossed on our minds, and we understand from 2 Timothy 2:26, 2, it's a description of how we were. We were like Lot. You know, just as Lot was hopelessly held in the proud teeth of Kedolo We were that way. We were the snare of the devil. We were taken captive by him at his will. And that's how we can be to the lost, not striving and gentle and apt to teach and patient and in meekness instructing. Because we see the lost that we work with as Lot. We see the lost that we work with as we were, we see them in Genesis 14, 15, and we understand that as we look at 2 Timothy 2, 26. They're just caught in the snare of the devil like Lot was, and they're taken captive by him at his will. And because we see the lost, we work with them as we were before we were saved. 2 Timothy two twenty six, the snare of the devil, taken captive by him at his will. That's us, as it says in Psalm 124, 6. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth, in Psalm 124, 6. So there's two ways. We can look at Genesis 14, verse 12. Two ways. We can read it like this, you know. They took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and his departed. <laughs> okay, now I'm ready to go to sleep. Give me my last cookie and milk. And Another boring Bible passage just put me to sleep. We can look and read it that way, okay. Or we can read it with great interest and say, and they took Lot, Abram's son, his brother's son, he dwelt in Sodom, his good and smart. They took Lot. That Lot is in the powerful teeth of Kedoloamer. Lot is on his prance of his power and his pride. And hey, that's me. That's me. Lot is me. And hey, I see myself in Lot. That's me. That's a picture of how I was before I was saved. I was Lot. Satan was Kedolo And like like Lot was in the teeth of Kedolo Armer, I was in the teeth of the devil. And like Cader was just prancing off in his pride, heading for Syria, the devil was prancing off with me, heading for hell. And like Lot had no hope, zero hope of escape, I had no hope of escaping from the strong clutches, the teeth of the devil. And that was all true for Lot until a rescuing Abraham appeared on the scene. And how did Abraham appear with just 318 men and that looked like nothing compared to the tens of thousands in Keduloamir's army. And we can imagine Lot, he might have been yelling out to Abraham, Abraham, thank you so much for coming, but you only have 300 men, and I'm being held by an army of tens of thousands, Abraham. You are not enough. You are not enough. And we can imagine you know, Lot thinking to himself, well, He gets the E for effort. I appreciate that. But I'm about to witness not the slaughter of the kings, but the slaughter of Abraham. That's true for us. That was true for us also. It all looked so dismal for us until our rescuing Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared. And how did the Lord Jesus Christ appear? He appeared. As it says in Isaiah 7:14, therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So how did He appear? He appeared as it says in Isaiah 9:6: for unto us a child is born. He appeared as a baby, a baby. I mean, we were captives held in the powerful teeth of the devil, and our rescuer comes as a baby. As it says in Matthew 1, 21, He shall bring forth the Son, she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Mary's newborn baby, little Mary's baby, no, Mary's little baby, Mary's little baby is our rescuer. That's our rescuer. That little baby is going to be called Jesus because He's going to save us from our sins. We don't need a baby, we need a strong warrior. And then when he grew up, the Lord Jesus Christ grew up, and then John the Baptist saw him for the first time, he says in John 1, he says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming up to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The same question, a lamb? A lamb? I'm held in the teeth of the devil, a strong lion, and God sends a lamb? I don't need a lamb. I need another lion. I need a strong lion. And that's just like Lot saying, only 300 men? Just 300 men, Abraham. Abraham, you're way outnumbered. Couldn't you have gotten more men from Sodom and all those other cities? But Abraham was sent by God. And with only 300 men, he destroys Kedolo and his army.
0: Tom, today you mentioned God sending a lamb to save us. Why does God use animals as symbolism in the Bible? And why did God put animals on the earth? You know, it's a very, very good
1: question. And, you know, the issue with the animals on the earth, as God did put them there, and they're there to serve man, is that God always wants to put in, in our lives similarities or analogies to teach us about himself, about spiritual truths. And so he's always asking us when we see things we, we, that he, he's almost like saying to us, can you see? can you really see? Can you see beyond what you're seeing? Do you see the analogy here? Do you see the similarity here? Do you see the parable here? And so what God is doing with the animals is that he puts them on earth. And as it's almost, he's saying to us, do you see those animals are there for your pleasure? We get pleasure when we have a pet dog, when the, when the pet dog runs to greet us, when we throw ball with the pet dog, that's for our pleasure. God says, do you know that you are created for my pleasure so that we can spend time together just like you spend time to, with the with the animal? And then as the animals serve you, do you know that you have been created to serve me and that as you do that you will be the happiest in your life? You know, Moses wanted to make this so very clear to the Jewish people that what he did was he said to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 10 verse 12, Moses said, and now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Boy, what a question. Isn't that great? Isn't it really interesting to sit there and say, what does God require from me? Well, Moses says, I'll tell you. Now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? That's what God requires of us. First, to fear him. Take God seriously. He is an awesome God, one to be held in awe. Fear God. Give him his rightful place. Walk in all his ways. He's told us what his ways are so that we can be like God, walk in his ways and then love him. Love him because he loves you. Have that friendship with God. Have that love relationship with him and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. No half-heartedness,
0: but a complete serving of God. Amen. Now, Satan doesn't want us to serve God. And I know he also appeared as a serpent in God's Garden of Eden. Why was the serpent allowed to be in the garden? Yeah, isn't that something? I mean,
1: God really, he has the power. He could have said, no serpent in my garden. This is going to be a beautiful garden. I've just created this garden. It's going to be perfect. It was. It was the Garden of Eden. So why in the world was the serpent found in God's garden? Well, obviously the answer is because God wanted the serpent to be in his garden that's why the serpent was in his garden. Then the next question is, since the serpent brought about so much trouble, what in the world did God have in mind when he allowed the serpent to be in the garden? What was God's purpose? You know, Ephesians six ten through 18 starts off with these words, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's God's will for our lives. God wants us to be strong in him and in the power of his might. And how are we going to be strong unless we've got some challenge or some obstacle that we have to be strong against? That was the purpose of the serpent being in the garden. So he says, how are you to be strong against the serpent? How are you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? And he explains, you be strong by putting on the whole armor of God, God's armor, what God has provided. That, he says, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's why the devil was allowed in the garden. That's why his wiles or his strategies or his ways were in the garden, the devil ways so that we could stand against them. He says, for we wrestle not. God wants us to wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high place. God's intention, God's desire for us is that we would be strong through wrestling, wrestling against these powers of darkness of this world, these rulers of darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickednesses. He says, I want you to learn, this is the idea behind verse 13, that how to take unto you the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. God is training us. He is training us So that we can, we'll be trained with him because we're going to reign with him, and he wants strong ones to reign with him. And the only way they can be strong is if they stand against the evil day. He says in verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. God prevent could prevent those fiery darts of the wicked one from coming to us, but he says, I want them there so that you'll learn how you should take the shield of faith and be but to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." And then he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God wants us to be skillful in using his sword of the spirit, skillful in using the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. God wants us to be strong in prayer. And God knows that there's nothing going to make us like praying Christians unless we've got a a wily devil that's hot on our trail and trying to bring us down. And since God knows that, he allowed the devil to be in the garden so that he could make Adam and Eve strong. And he allows the devil to have access to us and to come to us with darts, to come to us as wrestlers, to come to us with with, with terrible fighting so that we'll be strong in him.
0: Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, Tom Cantor wants to encourage you to witness to your lost Jewish friend, Jewish doctor, Jewish business owner, or a Jewish neighbor. And Tom Cantor not only wants to send you a free gift of his life story on DVD and in a booklet to help you reach your lost Jewish friend, but Tom Cantor wants to also personally pray for your lost Jewish friend. So maybe you'd like this free gospel gift of Tom Cantor's life story in a booklet and on DVD be sent to you to give to your friend or sent directly to them. You can do that by going online to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Fill out the online free gift form, and we'll send that gift right to you to give to them, or we'll send it directly to them. You can also give us their name, and Tom Cantor will personally pray for them, as well as all of the Israel Restoration Ministries staff and workers. We will pray for them. God will reach them with the gospel. Now, we also want to encourage you to give your year-end gift to the Friendship with God radio program 100% tax deductible, but we also want to encourage you by offering Tom Cantor's book, The Prophecies and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a powerful book. This book will show you scriptures comparatively, side-by-side, from the Old Testament prophecy to the New Testament fulfillment. It's an amazing study that shows that God is Jesus Christ and that He was the foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. And it's a must-have for any Christian and a great gift to give to a Jewish person or even an atheist who's searching for the truth of the scriptures, that Jesus Christ is God. To get this 84-page book, with 194 Prophecies and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ by Tom Cantor. We'll send that to you for a donation of $20 or more. Send that in today. $20 or more donation. We'll send you that book. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. one 247 3051 Or go to friendshipwithgod.org to donate online. Thanks for listening.